Well, if you tell yourself negativity so much time, I'm cursed, right? No one will ever love me. Um, I know that this business won't work. See, and, and you look, you're going to find and seek out all of those things to affirm all of the negativity that you've told yourself. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I cannot wait for you to hear today's episode with Casanova Brooks. Just his name alone is awesome. And this episode obviously matches the awesomeness of his name. So if you don't know who he is already, he is the epic founder and CEO of Dream Nation Academy. Now, his story that you're about to hear of hitting rock bottom and navigating rock bottom, and let me really paint just kind of the picture of rock bottom without giving away the punchline. In just one year, Get this, he lost his house, his job, and his mom in one year. Can you imagine going through something like that? So he was really, truly at rock bottom, maybe below. But rock bottom delivered him a gift like it does many of us in the form of a brand new real estate career that turned him into an award-winning real estate agent, investor, speaker, and CEO. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Real Estate, Play the Game Like Winners. And one of the best things that he teaches in this episode is how to turn relationship building into a superpower, something that we talk about on the show all the time. Relationship capital is the best capital you can have. We talk about what others can do when they feel like they're at their rock bottom. So if any of you are going through something tough right now, he's got some answers for you. And you're going to love his stories and his efforts around generosity. I can tell you every single thing about this episode will lift you up. It'll inspire you. And no matter where you are, it's going to show you that anything is possible. And I think one of my favorite things about this episode is how quickly Casanova turned his life around from financially ruined to having a multiple six-figure year in the very first year of making his comeback. And you can do that too. It actually can happen really, really fast. It doesn't have to be this tumultuous, torturous time for you to make your financial comeback, but you also have to know how to think, how to behave, what to do, what happens to build. You need to know every single thing from mindset to actions and everything in between. And I'm actually teaching that for free now, an abbreviated version of all that for free. You can go get the four video series at fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash free. And if you want to learn how to think and act with your finances, I'm going to deliver you some mind-blowing stuff for free at fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash free. Go check it out. Sign up. Totally free. No catch. I guarantee you'll put yourself in a better mindset and therefore a better situation financially just by going and taking the free training. Guys, free, 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 free. fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash free. Check it out. All right. Get ready, take some notes, because here we go. Casanova, my friend, good to have you on the show. How you doing? Man, I'm great. It's a pleasure to be on here. Oh, well, listen, I just had the pleasure of being on yours. Was that last week or two weeks ago? Yeah, just about uh, two weeks ago, I think it was. And man, it was a great, great conversation. And so I'm excited to... This will be part two of it. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, you're a really good interviewer, so I got a lot to live up to here. On my show, by the way, we start with rapid fire. And uh, it's a fun way for my listeners to kind of get to know you in a hurry. And if something really good comes up, we'll circle back around and, and we'll do a deep dive on it. You in? I'm in. All right. So here we go. Uh, real easy. Where'd you grow up? 
Um, two places. I originally grew up in Chicago, Illinois, Southside until I was 13. And then my parents decided to move me to Sioux City, Iowa. So huge culture change, two different perspectives. Uh, but yeah, so kind of two places. It was a mix of both. It's a massive culture change. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the uh, interview here. And where do you live now? Uh, Omaha, Nebraska. I'm still oh. middle of the country. I love it. I'm Midwest born and raised. Um, matter of fact, I'm back here right now as we speak. So what's your favorite quote? Joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain. Mm. Man, isn't that the truth? That's really, yeah. really true. What's one of your superpowers? The ability to build relationships. Oh, me too. You and I share that one. What's one of your favorite books? I got to go back to where it really changed everything for me, which was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Maybe a cliche one, but that changed so much for my mindset. Um, so that's what I would say. That, that's what came to mind first. I get a kick out of it when people say, oh, it's cliche or too many people. Hey, listen, it's cliche or a lot of people mention it because it's good. You know what I mean? Because right. like, it's legit. That's why. Uh, what's one of your all-time favorite accomplishments? You've had so many. Having both of my children. Uh, being a cancer survivor, and I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. But um, when we originally tried to have my son, who's now turning nine next month, um, and we went to the doctor, they had said that basically the average couple, when they go to conceive, they have a, just under a 15% chance for the average couple. But for my wife and I, just because of um, her body and my body and the chemotherapy that I went through a couple of years prior, um, that we had less than a 1% chance. So to have both of my children. Uh, both of them took two years to be exact, but we didn't have to go through IVF or anything like that. And they both came naturally and they're both healthy. So those would definitely be my biggest accomplishments. So cool. So cool. What's one thing you're challenged by right now? Uh, how to become a better leader. I think mm. that there's always room for growth in this. And right now, I have businesses, multiple businesses, not only my wife and I, but then my own businesses. And now I have up to, what, eight people on my team now. And so every day, because of the fact that I didn't grow up with entrepreneurship or anybody owning companies, every day I'm challenged by how do I become a better leader? It's not enough to just communicate, but how do you show action? How do you have that harmony? How do you have balance? So many things. So I think that that's the one thing every day that I'm trying to be better at. And it's definitely a challenge because you're dealing with a lot of emotions. You're dealing with a, a lot of people um, that are believing in you and that are also dependent on you. Yeah, man, I hear you there. Uh, two more. What is something you've done that is generous recently? I sit on a couple boards. Um, so for me, I'm always trying to give my time, my energy, my effort. I also coach my son in sports. Now, of course, we've been going through a pandemic. So I haven't been uh, coaching because youth sports haven't been in. Um, and me being in real estate, I'm constantly always reaching out to my clients to just try to do pop buys or like I just two of my clients that one just closed on a lake house over in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Um, and I referred and I have my Iowa's license, but it's been inactive because I don't do a lot of deals over there. There's so much business to be had here in Omaha and I do pretty well. So um, I referred that deal out even though I didn't get anything on it. So that was kind of one thing. And then my other clients, they're about to have a baby. And both of them have become some of my true best friends, but they're about to have a baby here on the 18th. So I reached out to a good family friend of mine back in Sioux City and I had him make these wood murals 
bottles that say their last name on it. And I mean, when you see these things, they are beautiful. So my wife originally got this for us when we got our house. And so I reached out to him and I got both of these. And so I'm excited to see the look on their face because I, I, I love them. They're, they're wood murals, but um, like one's last name is a code. The other one's last name is Webb. So it's a W, but then it also has the cursive and it looks really good. So I'm excited about that. That's really cool. And then last but not least, what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for opportunity. I'm grateful to still be breathing. I think every day is an opportunity for us to go after our dreams, go after our desires. And for me, every day, I think that, listen, I know that I was put here for a reason because so many people don't make it every single day, right? For whatever reason, whether it's voluntarily or involuntarily. And so for me, every single day, that I get an opportunity to go after my dreams, go after my goals. Again, I always think that, you know, um, when hard work meets opportunity, it looks a lot like luck. And yeah. I think most of us are hard workers, but we just, we, we really lack the opportunities, right? But they come, it's just if you're open enough to see them, right? Yeah. If you're really like open to take it on. And so every day, I think that that's where I've always kind of been is I've been an opportunity seeker. So every day that I get that opportunity to seek more opportunities and start businesses and build relationships, I think that that's what I'm most grateful for um, because I know that not everybody sees it that way. Okay. Let's kind of start there. So now that we go deeper in the interview, um, today you're killing it. I mean, ultimate family, man. Let's start there. You already said that was like your proudest accomplishment but you're also killing it in the real estate game. You have multiple other businesses. You have a team that you've built and that you're leading. And I'll be honest, there was a time where the odds were stacked against you. And I, and I hate to bring you back to this time, but in order for our listeners to really get a taste for how amazing your journey has actually been, I have to start by taking you back to the time when you lost your mom and you lost your job and you lost your home all within a matter of weeks. Dude, I can't imagine. How did you get through that? Yeah, man, it's a it's a great question. I think it first came with understanding. It, first, I'll tell you, it was super hard because my mom and I were always very close. Like looking back when I grew up, um, I was the only child. So my mom, as she would always say, she was robbing Peter to pay Paul. And that's where my grandma came in because she kind of was stepping in to try to be that father figure in my life. And of course, she just wanted to bridge that gap to make sure that I didn't feel like I was losing out. And so I'm very close to my grandma still. Um, we talk all the time. But anyway, um, how I got through that time was really just understanding that even though I lost my best friend and, and I lost my essentially guardian angel, there were still people that were depending on me, like my wife, like my son, like my grandma. And so it was understanding that, listen, I get it that you have lost your, your, your biggest cheerleader, but at the same time, don't lose those other people that are still counting and rooting for you. And then on top of that, I mean, for me, I always, always have had a very strong mindset. And so, and I had a strong will personality. And one day, me just really thinking about it, my wife was not only supporting me emotionally. She was also supporting me financially. So it was at that time where I just had to really buck up and say, listen, you're either going to make this work or you're always going to wonder what if. And that was led by my wife. So I got to give her so much credit because at that time where I did lose everything, I was going to go back and get a W-2 job. Now, yeah. keep in mind, I did have a real estate license that I had just gotten four months prior, but I wasn't doing anything with it. And I was just brand new. My thought was I was going to double dutch it. Right. Yeah. So what I was going to do is I was going to wait until I got enough income 
from me doing a deal or two over here in real estate that then I could just quit my job. Well, after I lose everything, I'm like, all right, forget it. I'll just go back and get a job. And my wife, she led the way and was like, no, like you got this dream. You, you got to go after it because otherwise you all were always going to wonder what if. And so I jumped into real estate full force. But I'll say that it was because of my community. It was because of my wife, my son, and then my grandma who were all still dependent on me that I knew that I couldn't just sit and wallow and oh, woe is me. Yeah. Listen, the first year that you jumped into it, and people have to understand how hard it is to get momentum in real estate. First year you jumped in, you had what, 46 deals or 48 deals, something like that? Yeah, I did 46 deals, $8 million in volume. And the average home price here is about 187000 So I had to grind for sure. Um, but it be- But I tell people all the time, like it begins with relationships. So for me, did I ever have that number that like, oh, I was going to do 46 or 100 deals? Like I didn't. But what I did know is that every person who came in contact with me, I needed to make them feel my enthusiasm and I needed to make them feel my authenticity that I loved real estate. I loved what I was doing and I wanted to help solve their problem. So that's how it kind of, you know, can to take off. And I say that because so many people, they, they see the end journey, just like what you said, but they forget that even a thousand mile journey starts with one step. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I didn't think about the long term game. But at that time, after we lost it all, her aunt, she had a second aunt who's living here in Omaha and she was going through a divorce at the time. And so she had this house, this massive house. And so she, um, basically lets us know. She's like, hey, you guys can come live in my basement until you can get it figured out and you'll pay me a little bit of rent. So we're like, okay, now there was one bedroom in the basement and she lived in like a ranch style home. So obviously it's a like a bigger basement rather than if you live in like a two story where you got something narrow, but it was bigger, but it was one bedroom and then it was a furnace utility room that was down there. So for us, we gave my son the bedroom. So he's living like a king. And then we put our bed and our TV in the utility room. So of course, that gave me also more motivation because every day, you know, I'm going to try to help somebody buy or sell or invest in a real estate. And they don't know that I'm going home to sleep next to a furnace and a water heater. Wow. And so I got to jump in and ask you, did you ever feel inauthentic or afraid they would find that out or ask you about the home that you live in? Because a lot of people, real estate or coaching or anything, any form of entrepreneurship, they all have this this uh, imposter syndrome, right? Did that ever sneak up on you when you were in that situation telling other people about homeownership? No, absolutely not. And the reason why I would say that is because I did believe in home ownership. It was yeah. just at that time, I couldn't buy a home. Right. But the moment that I got the opportunity to buy, I did buy. And that all worked out and, and kind of propelled. But at that time, because I went full-blown real estate, you know, and, and you would know this, but in the banking world, they either want you to have 30 days or 60 days worth of a pay stub, or they want you to have two years worth of self-employment for your taxes. Yeah. So it wasn't that I could it wasn't that I didn't want a house. It was that I couldn't afford or, or get a bank to approve me on a home. And so everything that I was telling all of my clients when I would say, man, this house is beautiful. Man, this backyard's beautiful. This neighborhood's beautiful. Like I really meant that stuff. And in a way, I think that I was kind of living vicariously through them. And it actually probably came across even more authentic then. Like you're right. probably as eager as they were. 
Absolutely. And I think that the thing that I love about real estate is a lot of the times you're not selling anyone anything, right? They already know that they want home ownership. So when you, if you really listen in the beginning, and I think this has helped to contribute to why I had the success, is I would ask those questions up front, like, what are the most important things to you? And then you would tell me, okay, well, she wants, you know, this. I just, all I really want is a basement that, you know, I could maybe put a surround sound in or I want a flat driveway so I could shoot basketball with my son or my daughter. So I would go and try to find the things that you wanted in a home. And then I would show that to you rather than me saying, hey, let me pull you around. I got this. I'm going to sell you. So I think that that helped to contribute to it as well, where I didn't have to feel inauthentic because they already wanted that. I was just trying to make sure that you got to the finish line with the least amount of stress as possible. How, how old were you when all this was going on? Um, I was, what, this six years ago? I'm 32, so I was 26. Okay, all right. So what do you think the biggest strength that you pulled out of the situation? You beat cancer, you were homeless for a while, mm-hmm. and your mom passed away. What do you think the biggest strength you pulled out of that horrible trifecta you experienced was? Yeah. So I think it goes back to that original quote that joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain. Not that losing my mom ever brought me any type of joy, but I think that what it did do was it showed me that tomorrow's never promised and you can't predict what will go on in life. Like you right now, obviously you're going through a very tough time and we have to figure out a way to keep our energy in a positive state, right? Because I believe that that's all life is. It's all made up of our energy because it's the stories that we tell ourselves that give us the feelings and create the actions in the end. Well, if you tell yourself negativity so much time, I'm cursed, right? No one will ever love me. Um, I know that this business won't work. See, and and you're going to find and seek out all of those things to affirm all of the negativity that you've told yourself. And for me, I think that I've always just tried to focus my energy on positive positivity because I know at the end of the day, all that really matters is the memories that I create with the people around me. Because as we both can attribute to, we've lost a lot of things, we've gained a lot of things, and even not even necessarily lost, but things will wear off. Maybe you didn't lose the car or lose the house, but after a while, it was never about the house anyway. It was about the big house that you could buy with your family and create those memories with your friends and your family. That was all it really was. And so there's different seasons and different reasons for everything. And me losing my mom, I was not prepared for. I was not ready for it and I hated it. And even now for everything that I've created over these last five years, I, I, I always wish that my mom could have seen this because I have no college degree. My mom never had a college degree. She never owned a house, a business, a car. So for me, I look at these things and I know that if I ever had someone who believed in me outside of my wife, it was my mom and and my grandma. And so to be able to show her that, look, I did it. That was everything to me. But I know that in my heart of hearts and my energy tells me that I wouldn't have half of this maybe if it wasn't for my mom. So I always try to find what is the positive that I can learn from this. And I feel like I got a guardian angel out of this. I feel like who knows if I would have if I would have had my mom during those times, would I have? Would it have been more of a pity party to where my mom might have even said like, "Yeah, you know, baby, you'll be okay," and and like just go back and get that job. 
Right. But like mm -hmm. for whatever those chain of for whatever reason that those chain of events happen, it was like, nah, you got to go out here. You got to make her proud because she always believed in you. And so I think that that's what I, I gained. I gained a little bit more resilience. But at the same time, I gained that energy to just know that, listen, everything happens for a reason. And you might not be able to really pinpoint what the reason is. But for the people who want to see you win in the end, you still have to honor them, whether they're here or they're gone. And so that's what I try to do. Man, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. So here you are today. You're killing it in the game of real estate. And, and listen, we got to paint the picture. Maybe you know some stats. I don't. But the percentage of people that make it in real estate is so small compared to the number that participate. Right. Do you have any idea what that percentage is? Yeah. So the National Association of Realtors says that 87% of all real estate agents get out of the business within just five years of getting their real estate license. As far, and that's that's, people, you know, how many are like treading water barely that stay in, you know? Right. So the average real estate agent across the country does four to five deals per year. The average mm. real estate agent. But the average first year agent does one, maybe two deals per year. No. And you did 46, almost one a week your first year. Yeah. Almost one okay. a week. And so, yeah, it was, it was, you had to gain momentum. But I think the biggest thing for me of why, when people ask me what it was, it was understanding. And this points back, I listened to one of your last podcasts that you did with Lori, and you were talking about visibility, mm -hmm. right? And, and one of the things as I'm listening to that and I'm agreeing with it and I was like, oh man, this is good. And what I always say when people ask me about visibility and things like that is uh, if they don't know you, they can't flow you, mm -hmm. right? If they don't know you. And so for me, when I set out to do all of those deals, the number one thing that I focused on was my marketing, my branding and making sure that everyone knew who I was. Because if they don't know that I'm in business, how can they do business with me? Yeah, And so that was a big deal for me of how I did it. Because I think when you're just selling houses, selling houses is easy. Mm -hmm. The hard part is getting people to trust you with their sale, whether yeah. that's a buy or a sell. So that comes with the relationship building. And so many people, they look at it from a transactional standpoint, or they look at it from purely, I'm going to sell this house. Because that's what you see on HGTV or flip this house or whatever it is, right? It's never really about the relationship unless they're talking about the drama between the realtor and, and their boyfriend or whatever else. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the times they put the showcase on how beautiful the home is. So as a real estate agent, we get in and we say, oh, we're going to sell these beautiful homes. But you never get to that point if you don't get somebody who knows you, likes you, believes in you, and trusts you. To, to help them get to the end. So that was what I focused on early. And I think because people could see again that I was authentic, I was genuine. I always carried this type of positive energy. If you go back and look at any of my reviews on Zillow or whatever, people never was like, oh, well, he was always like, Debbie down. Like, no, I just, I loved it. And when we got to that closing table and, and people were closing on the deal, I was just as excited as they were because of the fact that they trusted in me to be able to get him there. So that's that was always it, and I think that's what contributed to me doing that business. Casanova, I'll tell you, you know, the, the two times that we've been on the Zooms together, you know, doing podcasts, your energy and your positivity is infectious. So literally infectious, and people feel it. Like I, I start to embody it the more and more I talk to you. Where do you think this comes from? Because you went through some really rough stuff, and you somehow kept your head up, and you, you said from the beginning, this has been your personality. You came across this way. Where does that come from? Because most people let themselves get down. Yeah, I would say for me, it's always been 
Man, that's a great question. I think that it really just comes from love, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 I say that with the utmost sincerity. And what do I mean by that? The fact that you could tell me that. Here's here's something that I heard and it stuck with me from probably the first month that I was in real estate. Someone had asked uh, Warren Buffett, "How do you know when you've been successful in life?" Now, for a lot of people that know Warren, he's very much a realist. Like he's he's in a lot of people even say he's an atheist. He doesn't talk about God or afterlife or anything like that. And Warren responded and he said, "You'll never know how successful you've been in life until you die and you see." How many people come to your funeral? And everybody's like, what? Warren's like talking about afterlife. Da-da-da. He said, but more importantly, you'll never know how truly successful you've been until you die and you see how many of those people cry at your funeral. Wow. Because those are the people who you've truly impacted their lives. Wow. And I was like, right? That's exactly what I said. I was like, yo, like that's crazy. And when you think about it, the fact that I don't know exactly how you're feeling at this very moment, going through what you're going through. I don't know what the backside looks like for you. For the listeners, but, they, for the listeners, we're recording this as a few, just a few days after my dad died. That's that's what Casanova is referring to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Definitely. And and so I can't put my my uh, my feet in your shoes right now. But the moment that I could hear you say something like that in such a short amount of time since you've experienced something so tragic, that lets me feel like, listen, once I meet my maker at the end of the day, I can't talk about the money, the decisions that I made or I didn't make, all these other things, right? Uh, Because those things won't matter. But what I can say is, listen, for my time on this earth, when you put me here, if you look back at my body of work and my resume, did I do everything that I could to try to make sure that I inflicted positive energy on everybody that you allowed me to have contact with? And so that's always what I try to do. I don't want to sugarcoat it like I know why I have this good energy, but yeah. hearing you say things like that, it makes me feel good. So why would I not want to continue to try to bring positivity and see you smile because that's what I think this world is all about. Again, creating relationships that then turn into memories. Man, I love that answer, number one. Number two, I like to think that I'm the same way. Number three, my dad was that way. And that's where I get it from. So super cool that we're talking about that right now during this time. So I want to transition a little bit. When we were doing Rapid Fire, you said you moved from Chicago. Was it South Side Chicago? Yep, South Side, inner South city. Side Chicago. Yeah. Um, to where was it? To Sioux City, Iowa. Sioux City, Iowa. I mean, let's just be honest. You said culture change. That is culture shock, right? Absolutely. And yeah. right now, as we record, as we record this, um, we're in a time where there's a lot of eyes being opened about systemic racism. A lot of people learning that it's even a thing that they didn't realize was a thing, uh, and challenges that Black entrepreneurs face that other white entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs of other races like myself uh, don't have to overcome. So, my first question is: Do you ever feel this resistance? towards you as a real estate professional or an entrepreneur? Yeah, absolutely. I feel it. And I would say I feel it more than many people because... So here's the thing in the Black community. You already have a battle no matter what, because the reality of it is if you talk to probably at least 50%, if not 80% of all Black people, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, it feels like it's crabs in a barrel. So what does that mean? It's always like you have to fight your own kind more than anyone else, right? Like when we look at why don't us as Black... um, In the Black community, why don't we have that one leader, that Martin Luther King? But it's always because someone's going to try to tear someone else down. 
But if you look at that, being honest, when we look at Jeff Bezos or anyone else, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, like their own community is not tearing them down. They're being worshipped in many ways and they're being worshipped by the black community. Yeah. Right. But when you get people like Al Sharpton or even Barack Obama, people like that, that are that are just highly influential and that are black, like you already have that battle to try to get your own community to support you. But then on top of that, I mean, for me, it's it's all. So I live here in Omaha, Nebraska, which I tell people all the time. It's a rich white Catholic state. You're listen, you're crushing it real estate in the whitest market you could possibly do real estate in. Right. Let's paint the picture for real for people. It is. And it's agriculture heavy, right? And there's a lot of old money here. Now, here's what I will say. Omaha definitely does a good job of taking care of its own. But yes, for me, for the town that I, the the part of Omaha that I live in, also for like my neighborhood, my street, my things, like everything, it there's rarely anybody who looks like me, right? Mm -hmm. We got a couple other black families in this neighborhood, one of which uh, have become our very best friends and um, and, and it's great. But the, the reality of it is, is for a lot of the times when people look at me, they don't necessarily have to say it. And and for me, a lot of the times they don't say it. Why is because I'm not a 6'2", 230 black man that maybe they're more fearful of. Right. And then on top of that, I can articulate myself in a way that maybe doesn't come off. Whereas some other people, like some of my best friends, they don't necessarily smile as much as me. Not that they're not as smart, not that they don't own businesses, not that they don't give to their community. Right. But then they're automatically, they're judged. Like last night, we were just watching, my wife and I was just watching on, um, I can't remember what the show was called. But anyway, if you saw about a week or two ago, there was a lady, a white lady who called the cops on a black yes, guy in, in New York. Park. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, so they had that guy. His name was like Cooper or something like that. I can't remember what his first name was, but his name was Cooper. And he specifically says he wears, he could go, he says he will not go and get contacts. And, and they were like, why is that? And he was like, because there's a difference of a 6'3 black man without these nerdy glasses and he takes them off than with these nerdy glasses. Wow. So he thinks it tones him down a little bit. Absolutely. So he's not, so they're not as fearful of him. And I mean, you could see exactly what he meant when he said that. And it was like, that's sad that he doesn't even, and, but that's the reality, right? And, and so for me, if we're talking specifically for me, absolutely, I felt it. I mean, my wife is white, right? You can see it. My kids are light complected. Um, and so when, and for me, I mean, nice house, nice car, things like that. When I get out, even at a gas station, right? I get double looks. Windows are tenant that's not the person that you're expecting to get out of that car, right? And so, yes, I think that definitely I I experience it, I see it. But for me, again, always keeping my energy, you know, and and maybe that's the reason why, you know, I've been blessed enough to not have to deal with that. But I'll tell you, I never think when I see something like George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery or, you know, anyone else, I never think that it couldn't happen to me, especially being here. Because again, five minutes west of where I live, we're definitely in all cornfields. Yeah. Right. And uh, so it, it, it is definitely a challenge. But, uh, you know, for me, always, again, I can't live my life in fear. And so I just have to every day make sure that as long as I'm doing what I need to do and as long as I'm instilling into my kids and every, because we never know when the end of our time comes, you definitely yeah. don't want it to be because of racism or, no. you know, anything like that. But did I do everything while I was on this earth? to make sure that, that um, my kids understand, my family understands. And so that's what I try to focus on. 
Two more questions around this. Um, yeah. Unless I get another one that I'm dying to know as you start to let some of this unfold. The first one that came to mind was you have a, you're a black entrepreneur, you have a white wife, and you said, obviously your children are more light skinned. Mm -hmm. How how do you guide them through what we're going through as a country right now? What do you say to them? Yeah, it's a very um, tough question. It's a tough scenario. Now my son is nine and my daughter uh, will be three this year. Or my son's eight. He'll be nine and my daughter will be three. So I think for my daughter, I, I'll be honest and tell you that I'm very fearful. I have this conversation a lot. My wife's heard it as well. And the reason why I'm fearful for my son is because of the fact that he's light. But the more the fear that I have is that right now, he can go through life and he doesn't have to pick a side, right? But what happens naturally is as you get older, here's what's going to happen. If he tries to identify as black, right? Will he then be challenged on both sides of the field? Mm. Are you black enough for the black people? And, and where's your super light complected? Where's glasses? If you look at his younger pictures, he used to look like a little kid off Stuart Little. He used to look <laughs> identical to that little kid. And then, you know, and then for the white side, right, is he too black for them? And then so the thought is, especially for the neighborhood that we grow up in right now, he's grown up around a lot of white kids. And obviously we chose that. So we understood that. But the problem is if then, because I believe that racism is taught, it, no one's born racist. No. Right. It's, it's what you hear from your grandparents or whoever else, or it's your surrounding. So now all of a sudden it starts to become cool to use the N word or to say something else. And now rather than him being a leader, which is what I obviously try to teach him every single day, he doesn't like that feeling of being outed. So now he more identifies with the white side and then he's like, no, nah, I'm not black, right? Especially if his dad's no longer alive, knock on wood for whatever reason, right? And now he doesn't want to, to identify with that. Yeah. So I'm very fearful of him. And then I'm also fearful of the times that he tries to identify as black. And then all of a sudden he's then looked at as lesser than, yeah. right? Which then means that obviously only the worst can come from that. Whether he decides that he wants to lash out or whether other people decide, okay, you want to identify with them? Well, here's how we see them and here's how we're going to treat you to the point to now, again, he doesn't want to identify with it. And so those are the things that I'm very fearful of. Um, but again, I think that the only thing that I can do is every single day teach my son you know, to be comfortable in his own skin, but at the same time to understand and be proud of Black heritage. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what I, I have been. And uh, and I think right now I've done a pretty good job of it. But again, I think that he, he, he's got to really believe it in his heart. And so the biggest thing that I could do is keep him exposed yeah. to great black leaders. Right. Like not only Martin Luther King and the people that are publicized. Right. But the Marcus Garvey's, the Langston Hughes, the all the people who you don't necessarily talk about, especially here. Right. Because here they're teaching about American history wow. and science and all those things, which is great, but they never talk about anybody besides Martin Luther King or um, maybe you would get a Harriet Tubman or Rosa Parks. So the people who've been, again, mediified, but there's a lot of other people in the black community and black heritage that, um, you know, he, he never would be exposed to if it's not for me. So I have to make sure that I do my part in that. So the second question that I had around this then was, 
you said about 10 minutes ago, you said you pull up to a gas station, you pull up in a fantastic car, windows are tinted. And when you get out, you get double looks, double takes. And your exact words were something like, they don't expect to see someone who looks like me get out of this car. So my question is, how do we change that? And how do we better support Black entrepreneurs? Because it, it shouldn't be a surprise, regardless of anybody getting out of that vehicle. How do we change that? And how do we better support Black entrepreneurs? Yeah. So how do we change it? I think that that takes a long time, right? It, it really does. But because getting the double looks and, and things like that, um, the side comments, I think that's going to come a long way. But here's how I think, and I made a video and I actually just released a podcast episode on this. I think the way that it's changed is by more people willing to be uncomfortable. I seen that you were the one of the first people that I saw that put that on your Instagram um, and even came back at some other people that had some condescending you know, uh, posts on there. But here's here's my thoughts on it. Because I got a lot of people who reached out to me in the first couple of weeks and said, hey, how are you feeling? Where's your hard at anything that we can do to help. And I think when I say be willing to get uncomfortable, where it all starts from is not... You know, the change won't come... Yes, they can come from the protests and, and definitely riots, right? Because I think everything has been done with force in this country. It was taken by force and everything else. But the reality of it is, is change will start to come in the silo conversations. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a there's a lot of people right now that they're marching and they're protesting. That's great. But you also have 5,000, 7,000 other people or even hundreds of people alongside of you. Right. But for a lot of those people, when you go back home and you're at your job, once the economy opens back up or you're sitting in front of your bonfire, or you're around the pool or whatever it might be, and someone makes a condescending or racist or homophobic remark, are you willing to get uncomfortable in that moment where there's no LGBT person of it around? There's no black person around to say, hey, that's not the way that we do it, right? Yep. And this will start to happen again, as I've said, because 4th of July is about to come up, right? Now now the pandemic is starting to kind of go away a little bit more. More people are starting to gather. And that's what's going to happen on the 4th of July. Football is going to come back up. There's going to probably be a lot more black people and even white people that kneel. It doesn't help that our number one leader who we elected is... And and I'm not super anti Donald Trump, but I think he's done nothing for the humanitarian part of people. He's done nothing to bring us together, yep. right? He's, he's never, ever showed empathy. Hey, I understand why you guys are kneeling, right? And I understand those things. And I want to make sure that we can respect it. But here's my thoughts on he's never said anything like that. Right. And so I think that, again, the more people that are willing to be uncomfortable and on top of that, even with like Drew Brees. Mm -hmm. Right. And and everything that he said, again, I think Shannon Sharp said it the best when he said, listen, it didn't hurt that he said that. Uh, I I don't I don't want to butcher his words, but he said what hurt the most is that it came from you, Drew. Yeah. Right. Because you have been a pioneer in one of the most diverse communities for the last 15, 16 years. And you've donated five million dollars of your own money. You've stayed there at around um, what was it, Hurricane Sandy? I can't or was it Katrina? It was Katrina. Katrina, Katrina yeah. Yep. And you've been there. So we understand that we don't want to ruin your body of work. But if anybody was ever a, a black quarterback that was white, 
I mean, it's probably Drew Brees. For a lot of other people, they would have been like, ah, uh, like, uh, okay, I could, I could see. It wasn't surprising. But for Drew Brees, it's like, man, we expected you to be an ally. And if you don't have, and just don't say anything then. Just yep. say, you know what? I stick with my teammates. Everybody has their own opinion on this. Of course, I'm never for racism. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but taking that stance, it was, come on, Drew. Like, and, and especially when it's been proven time and time again that it's not about the flag. Yep. Right. Yep. And so I think the more people that are, and Drew Brees took a huge step after that because he was willing to get uncomfortable or he knew that so many of his other supporters, he was going to have to part the sea now. That apology that he issued the, the next day, that right. was the getting uncomfortable piece. That thing was vulnerable. But even more than that, because I don't think that a lot of the people in the black community, if you look at their reactions, that didn't really help him. What really helped him was the fact that he decided to reach out to Donald Trump and say, hey, we cannot keep making this about the flag. And he made that Twitter post. That's oh, one I didn't most, see that. I didn't yeah. see that. If you go back and look at it, he made a Twitter post, long Twitter post, and uh, and he actually tagged Donald Trump in it. And he said, hey, we cannot keep making this about the flag. We cannot keep hiding behind the flag when we know this has nothing to do with the flag. This is about police brutality. And we're still seeing even more. I think Will Smith said it the best. He said, racism isn't getting worse. It's just it's getting filmed. filmed. Yep. yep. Right? And, so how and much so- is going on and how much is going on that doesn't make it on, on video? Absolutely. And so I think that it's more people like Drew Brees that like you that are pioneers in the white community that have a lot of influence. Right. And that have, you know, other people that's around that you can just say, listen, hey, we're all here for a better because our job is to set regardless of what our, you know, beliefs are. Our job is to set our kids up Mm -hmm. to be able to have the best world that they could potentially live in. Yep. Right. And and here's the thing that we don't think we always make it about race. And obviously it is about race. But at the same time, we all want our communities to be inclusive and we want our families to feel like they're part of that. Mm-hmm. If your kid was bullied for whatever reason, right, if he was uh, ostracized for whatever reason, it doesn't make it right. Whether it's because he's black, whether it's because he's trans. We're so and I don't want to cur- curse on your show, so I oh, won't. Go ahead, go for it. You know, we're so judgmental, right? Yeah. Above people. And that's where I've just, I've never been about that. I remember telling my son at a very young age, like, it's okay if you don't like someone, but it's not okay if you don't like them because of their accent, because of their color, things like that. And so for us, we're constantly trying to judge someone, whether they're too fat, whether they're black, whether they got a big nose, whether they're poor, whether they got too much money. We're always looking to judge someone. And so I think that what we can do is try to set our next generations up so they're not as judgmental so they can hear people because at the end of the day, they didn't choose to be black, right? They may be proud that they are because it's who I am. It's the skin that I got to live in. So what gives you the right or why do you choose to berate me on this um, and so that's what I, that's what I want. Like, I, I, and, and again, maybe it's just because I've been such a relationship builder, but at the end of the day, you know, I even say now, like, I don't have a college degree for what I've been able to build. I am proud of it because I did it without any handouts, college degree. Nobody gave me anything. But even for my son, I, I tell people all the time. And I first started to gain this, this belief when financial advisors would all like, once I started doing good in real estate, everybody was like approaching me and be like, Hey man, can we talk to you? What do you, you going to do for your kid? Are you going to do it? And I'm like, listen, I'm be honest with you. 
I'm not looking to pay for a 529 or whatever for my kid, um, for him to just go to college and blow money like I did, right? Get $40,000 in student loan debt and then walk away with just uh, communications or no degree. I didn't even walk away with the degree. So I I, want to make sure now, now granted, I'll say this, if CJ or my daughter decides that they want to do something in a specialized field, they want to be an anesthesiologist, they want to be a biomechanical engineer that works on this, then yeah, absolutely. I'm going to do whatever I can to one, make sure that you get those scholarships, but two, I'm going to help you in the aid so you don't have to go get loans if I, if I have it or we'll figure it out. But, but Here's what I think. I don't think that you need to go to college because just because you got that piece of paper does not mean you're going to be successful. What you really need to do is focus on building the relationships because regardless if you start the business or if you partner with someone who starts the business or even if you work for the business, it's all about the relationships and the relationships will get you further than a degree ever would. And and obviously, it's going to be even more important relationships in the next 10 years because these kids all got YouTube and everything else to blow up a business like we didn't have 10 years ago. Man, I like seeing you fired up. This is good. This is awesome. We got to do this more. All right. So listen, you, you mentioned your son and daughter quite a bit. And mm-hmm. now here they are growing up in an affluent family, doing really well. Um, they don't have a lot of the challenges that you had growing up. How do you want them to grow up viewing success and money? Yeah, so I definitely want them to have a perspective that you're privileged. And I tell my and I tell my son this a lot more than my wife would really want. Like I'm very tough on my son, to be honest. Um now he always hears for anybody who's listening to this, he always hears I love you. Like yeah. I never am afraid to tell my son I love you. And my dad was never in my life. And I mean, I got those stories and, and all those other things of where he stood me up and he never built the relationship. So I make sure that my son knows it. And I even ask him those questions of like, hey, you know, I love you, right? And like, why do you think I'm tough on you? I just asked him this day before yesterday. I was like, why do you think I'm tough on you? And he's like, because you want me to be great. But here's the thing. They are privileged. If my son tried to say, I had to work hard for everything, Everything and this kind of goes back to like a lot of the the black versus white because I get a lot of people who's like, man, I know what it's like. I had to bootstrap my way, and it's like, yes, I'm not saying that you didn't have to work hard for everything that you got, but as a black man, a lot of times you got to work twice as hard or even three times as hard, right? And it's just it is what it is. So I understand that, but understand that we are not really fighting the same fight, and we have different plights in this. But as far as my son, you know, I, I will tell him like, listen. You didn't have to really struggle, right? Life insurance in case something was to ever happen to me, right? We got rental properties that we could pass down for assets to them. Um, I'm teaching them about businesses and things like that, which I never learned until I was 26, 27 years old. So you didn't really have to struggle. But here's what I'll say. Can you take everything that I've done, everything that I've learned, and can you enhance this legacy for the future generations? That's what I want him to see. And also, I mean, I know that this show, which I'm a firm believer in, is for the love of money. And I think when I first heard it and what it really resonated with me was Kanye was the first one person that said it. And at least in the way that he said it, I could relate to. And he said, having money's not everything, but not having it is. Right. And for so many people, they are like, oh man, money makes you this, or you're always, it's great. No, money emphasizes who you already were. 
right? And that's what happens, especially in the Black community. It's the stories that we tell ourselves. And it's so unfortunate. And it starts with, again, someone has to be the leader. Because what starts to happen is my dad was never in my life. My dad never gave me anything, which are all true. If I would have had that same mindset to say, listen, nobody ever gave me anything. So when I get it, I ain't going to give nobody anything. Mm -hmm. Then we never change the cycle, right? So it's, it's about understanding that, yes, Listen, money might not buy you happiness, but poverty won't buy you anything, right? Man. And if you want to support that nonprofit, if you want to start that nonprofit, if you want to start that business where you can impact lives, if you want to hire other people to give them jobs in a, a racist community and you want to be that support, whatever it is, if you want to give your family a better life, it all starts with the money, but it's what you choose to do with the money and how you choose to invest it and spend it, which will create the memories, whether they're negative ones or positive ones. And those create the stories that you tell yourself whether money's good or or bad. Man. So that's what I would say. As long as my kids had that understanding that, listen, I am going to have money, right? But what am I going to do with this money to make sure that at the end of the day, when people come to my funeral, they cry because they understand that, again, I had love for them. I tried to invest as much as I could into not only them, but the community as a whole. And that's how I think that they'll be remembered if I do my job correctly. God, I love it. Such good answers. Everyone can learn from this. All right, I really want to respect your time. So just a couple more questions. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned nonprofits. You mentioned charities. Do you have one that you're excited about right now? Yeah. So for the time that we're currently in right now, I would say it's an organization called the 100 Black Men. And to, to give you more perspective on it, they have a couple different slogans or sayings or the vision. And one of them is um, mentoring across a lifetime. And the second one is what they see is who they'll become. And so I think for me, it dates back to who I was as a young boy. For me, I never saw entrepreneurship. Um, I never saw... All I saw growing up, at least in Chicago, for sure, was drugs, gangs, violence. But I always gained my inspiration from TV. And and I remember my favorite show growing up was VH1's The Fabulous Life Of. It was like VH1's version of MTV Cribs. Yep. And so um, for me, the 100 Black Men, it stands for just... I think that in the Black community, it does start with men. It starts with the leadership. It starts with understanding that the narrative that's been portrayed to you over the last 20, 30, 40 years doesn't have to become your reality, right? And it also stems from all cops are not bad cops, right? It also stems from all white people are not racist. It also stems from all Black people can't get jobs. All Black people can't start businesses. Like once we go out and we prove it and we show the younger generations that again, anything's possible and it all starts with a dream, hence the reason why everything that I stand behind is Dream Nation, that's what... I love. And so that organization, I am a member of it, um, soon to be on the board for it. And then another organization that I do love is um, the Angels Among Us. And that is a, um, a, a nonprofit, which is um, centered here in Nebraska. And so it focuses around uh, families who have children that are dealing with pediatric cancer. Wow. And so I'll stay local. And of course, I am a childhood cancer survivor. And so I sit on that board. And that's another board that I'm proud of as well. So both of them have a lot of meaning to me. 
Um, but again, I think it's always changing the narrative. And so I think that the leadership that has been put not only in the local chapter, um, which we have amazing leadership, shout out to my buddy, Richard Webb, um, but also in the national chapters as well, the mentorship, the positivity, the energy of what they see is who they'll become. I love that. And it's definitely something that um, I can get behind that message all day long. Me too. I'm such a believer in that. That's awesome. I didn't know even that that existed until right now. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a $1,000 donation. You say you're about to sit on the board. I'll give you a $1,000 donation that if you text me when we're done done with this thing. Okay. And uh, text me the link. I'll make the donation and uh, then send you back the, the confirmation page. I would love to support that. Yeah, man. And, and we appreciate it. And I'm sure they'll reach out to you personally. Um, but I can tell you, I mean, the leadership that they have, it, especially in this local chapter, like it, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And so, um, yeah, I, we definitely appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. That's really cool. We'll put the links to all that in case somebody else wants to donate in the show notes as well. Yeah. All right, Nova, where should everyone follow you? Where should everyone plug into you? Where can we learn from you? All the good stuff. Yeah. So I got, I got, um, I'm most active on Instagram. If you reach out to me on Instagram, it's Casanova, C-A-S-A-N-O-V-A underscore Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S. I am on all the social media platforms. My website as well is CasanovaBrooks.com. Um, I love to connect with people. If you reach out to me, I will get back to you. It will be personally me who will get back to you. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear people's opinions. I love to hear people's thoughts. And hopefully, I can do something to impact their lives in a positive way. You've got a great Instagram. Everyone's got to, at minimum, go right now and go follow that thing at Casanova underscore Brooks. It's really good. People like it. All right, man, last question for you. Give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we all we have to understand that our stories are not for us, right? And so when you think about it, your success is not going to be for you in the end. It's going to be inspiration. It's going to be a hope because for you right now, you've gained for you to start that business, for you to listen to this podcast, for you to be a part of Lori and Chris's movement, their tribe. It's because you gained inspiration. And so we wouldn't be able to have this if we weren't unapologetic about our success. And I think that everyone, while we watch movies, we don't go to movies. And this is something that I learned and it really resonated with me. We don't go to movies to, to learn something new. We go to movies to feel something, mm-hmm. right? And that feeling creates that story, which creates that action, which hopefully creates that habit. And so for me, I think if you're unapologetic about money, then that means that you will be able to create your success and live a life by your design, which will give someone else inspiration to do the same for themselves and their family. So that would be my answer. Dang, that's good. I love it. I love every single answer, every little direction that we went in this thing was so good. I can't thank you enough for being on. Yeah, man. I can't thank you enough for having me. Uh, It's been a pleasure. I look forward to us both doing it again on each other's shows. And uh, it was a lot of fun, man. You dropped a lot of value. And I can only hope that your listeners felt that I did the same. I guarantee they did. I promise you that. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you as well. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.